something nearby is leeching all the external dimensions. Aliens. Possibly. Oh, who am I kidding? Probably. Police, please. <laughs> Whatever they are, they're testing. They're, they are dissecting. Trying to understand us. Trying to understand three dimensions. Who are you? That's what I want to know. I'm the doctor. Don't you dare. Doctor Oswald. <clears throat> you can call me Clara. Oh, no. I am the one chance you've got of staying alive. We need to move. The Discussing Network presents Discussing Who, a Doctor Who podcast. I'm Kyle Jones, and I want to start this week by welcoming back Lee Shackelford. Mr. Shackelford, how are you? Pleasantly three-dimensional, so I'm happy about that. And mm. uh, yeah, so that'll make more sense as we go along tonight. But uh, yeah, happy to be talking about this episode in particular, but just happy to be here with you guys. For everyone listening, you are listening to Lee Shackelford in true Technicolor, in true real vision, yeah, 3D. 3D. No glasses 3D. required. No glasses required. And if you want to go to the fourth dimension in all of space and time, mm-hmm. we might find none other than Clarence Brown. Clarence Brown, how are you? I am doing great, and I'm ready to jump in and review the 2013 Robin Thicke hit, Blurred Lines. Let's get to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the good one. Wait, good I, one. I thought this was the 1884 novel by Edwin Abbott, Flatland. <laughs> Touche. I thought it was Westworld. Oh, Who knows? Shh. I don't know. Yeah. But you know what I do know? Wow. I do know the importance of checking your mail. So for everyone listening, it is important to check your mail because you might find yourself reviewing an episode of Doctor Who that features a certain confectionate candy. Mm. And someone is probably waiting to say something about confectionate candy, but you have not checked your mail and you don't know what that confectionate candy is. <laughs> Clarence Brown, would you like to share what I am alluding to that you or nor I checked our mail to find? Yeah, once we finally got around to, you know, checking that old snail mail, mm. we finally found that we had some jelly babies in the mail mm. and from a one Lee Shackelford. Thank you, sir. You're so welcome. Yeah. And, to, and to my surprise, they're actually shaped like babies. I didn't yes. <laughs> know that. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're little babies. And they seem happy about the whole thing. So, In addition to our Van Gogh print uh, little notebook here, which I'm holding in my hand right now. So, again. Oh, good. Thank you from the things from over the seas, sir. Yes. Those little books came from the Musée d'Orsay, where, where that painting uh, hangs enshrined. And... uh it is um, the little booklets feature the the Van Gogh painting of uh, of his bedroom, and I always admired the fact that in Vincent and the Doctor, they took the time to make sure that his room looked like it does in the painting, and I just, mm. I just, it's just wonderful. I just wanted to try Jelly Babies the first time I was in the UK because you can't, it you can get them here, but it's very, it it can be hard. You know, just because of the fourth doctor, I sort of wondered what the fuss was about. And to my <laughs> surprise, I love them. So I can't get enough. And my wife will attest that I bought many bags like that and um, was eating them the whole, all the way through Scotland. And like, why is this guy smuggling these on the plane? You know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Doctor Who fan. Yeah. There it goes. I mean, that's tell. the telltale think- Doctor Who fan. But, you know, we were talking about the fact that there doesn't seem to be a lot of Who merch just everywhere these days. And and there was the last time I was in England. So I, I just I, I don't know what it means for the fandom. But but you're right. I think somebody who knows the show might have gone through my uh, my luggage and said, hmm, Van Gogh, <laughs> Jelly Babies. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. hmm. They, they might have said something like, hmm. Could I interest you in a jelly baby? <laughs> exactly. Hmm. Would you care for a jelly baby? To keep them in your cigarette case. 
What you don't keep in your cigarette case is what you like to say, Lee, for everyone listening that may be listening to us for the very first time. What do you like to say? And even for people who, who are faithful fans and keep tuning in to this uh, silly little show of ours, we really appreciate the fact that you're uh, spending your time with us. We realize that you've got other things you could be doing. So thank you for that. Indeed. And I'll also add to that. If you are so inclined to support the show, you can do so by leaving a review and most importantly, telling a friend. But if you have a review idea for us, please send that in along with anything else you want us to know to discussing who at gmail.com or at discussing who on any and all social media. And speaking of any and all social medias, yeah. I will tell everyone listening that I have been negligent on our social medias from Facebook to Instagram to Twitter. And I'm going to get better on that. And the way I'm going to get better on that is, or better at that, is by saying that I'm going to get better on the air so everyone can hear me. Yeah. So everyone, keep me to it. Reach out to us at Discussing Who and keep those Twitter and Instagram and Facebook feeds active. That way I have to respond to you. There you go. Keep me, keep me honest. Yes. Yeah. Hold his feet to the fire. Indeed. <laughs> what is going to not hold my feet to the fire, but maybe melt me into the background mm. is the episode that we're here to talk about. So for everyone listening, if you have not seen Flatline, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back because... From this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Affirmative. Spoilers. Spoilers? What spoilers? And I killed Sparky, too. <laughs> Alrighty, the spoiler warning has gone out, and we are back to review Flatline. This was the ninth episode of the 2014 series of Doctor Who, first airing on the 18th of October, 2014. It starred Peter Capaldi as the 12th Doctor, Jenna Coleman as Clara Oswald, and Samuel Anderson as Danny Pink. It features a glimpse of Michelle Gomez as the then-unnamed mystery character. It also features the first appearance of Jovian Wade as Rigsby. Summary view. Clarence, I'll start with you. Summary view. What did you think of this episode? Uh, I absolutely loved this episode. Absolutely loved it. Things I hadn't remembered about it really jumped at out jumped out at me this time watching it for this review. And I think I very much underrated this episode my first time watching it. I don't know why, but it's just about a perfect episode of Doctor Who, in my opinion. It has everything. It has the, the, the sci-fi elements. It has the doctor being Dr. E. It has Claire, Clara <laughs> stepping in to do one heck of a job. So, yeah, I love this episode. What about you guys? This is this is absolutely one of my favorite episodes of all time. And I was so eager to look. I've been so looking forward to, to uh, uh, talking about it on this show. I think Clarence put his finger right on it. This is... This is everything that I want in Doctor Who. It's in this episode. You know, we'll we'll get into it in greater detail later. But I just um, I just love Flatline. As usual, you guys speak nothing but the truth, which is this is not one that I go back to as far as it clicking the boxes of what makes me go back to Doctor Who episodes. But if you look at it from the things that you guys just mentioned, from the concept to the story to the making you think to the exploration of characters, character growths, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Check, 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 check. It has all of those. Yeah. So hands down, excellent, excellent, excellent. But what's not excellent, curious, let's talk about two characters that we meet. Not saying that one of them is not excellent, but I'm curious to know what you guys thought of the older gentleman, the character of Fenton. Lee, why don't you start by giving your thoughts on Fenton? Fenton. Well, we are meant to hate him, and the script does a great job of... of Making sure that we do, because the first thing we hear him do 
see him do is make sure that Riggsy paints over his own signature. It's just it's just plain meanness. Maybe maybe Riggsy is supposed to be, you know, uh, doing community service. Okay, maybe he's supposed to you know repaint all this. But the line is, "It's your filth, Riggsy. Start with your signature." Wow. Mm. And he actually goes downhill from there. (laughs) (laughs) For real. Oh, man. This guy is the absolute worst. If you weren't able to dislike him throughout the course of this episode, certainly by the end, he's just still, you know, laying it on thick. (laughs) Just being a total jerk and not showing much empathy or sympathy toward some of the people who don't make it to the end of the episode. So, yeah, yeah he's he's just the worst in every aspect. The actor, um, Christopher for Fairbank, did his job. <laughs> so, yep. But, man, he, he is the worst. <laughs> I think this is an excellent example of what you guys said. It's that character that you are destined to dislike. And the more you dislike him, the better the actor or you know that's evidence that the actor has pulled off what he was charged with doing so he did do that but the thing that stood out more than anything no matter how bad of a character he was or how much you just wanted to like punch him in the face was the fact that he did not see the psychic paper or see anything on there but not because he had some type of great intelligence or no pun intended or anything like that the fact that he had no imagination that he was literally character wise so freaking (laughs) one-dimensional that he couldn't even see whatever it was that was being shown to him well that's that's lovely that you called him one-dimensional um yeah. And it's interesting. I don't I don't buy the doctor's explanation. It seems to me like if somebody didn't have any imagination, then what they would see is what the person holding the psychic paper would want them to see. But that's usually yeah. how it works is that people just respond instinctively and that's that's how they see something. Yeah, I think it makes more sense that he's he's just so self-absorbed that he can't see anything that belongs to somebody else. Yeah. That's mm. I totally agree with you on that. I, I was surprised by that. I'm like, does this normal guy, not to belittle, belittle him, excuse me, but this normal guy has the mental fortitude to not <laughs> to be able to to not be fooled by the psychic paper. It felt very convenient for the story in that aspect, but you know, interesting as well. So I don't know. I, I guess we'll just say it works the way we want it to work when it's convenient. But you know, well, I'm not going to. But you know what? I actually want to push back and disagree with you guys a little bit because I see him more so as, and maybe I'm restating what you guys have said. And if so, you know, just call me out on it. Going back to that one dimensional thing, I look at him as being one of those people that doesn't have the capacity to see any more than it being a piece of paper, not because he is so enraptured with himself or wrapped up in himself, but he is so <laughs> stoned into his point of view that he doesn't even open up his mind for anything else. Yeah. So he sees this is a piece of paper. And that's all it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Th- I think that's really what I mean. And I think you've put it better. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> he's already made his mind up even before he can have a chance to look at it. So, yeah, he, he, he will he will see what it actually is. Yeah, that's. Well, let's take it in the other direction, because the other direction for me, and I'll, t- I'll take this one first, the other direction for me could have been a one-off character and could have literally equally have been one-dimensional, but I think he was in full 3D. That is the character of Rigsby. Lee, why don't you take Rigsby first? What did you think of Rigsby? A lot of Doctor Who is full of sort of tertiary characters you know there's the doctor one companion two and then each episode may bring in a a third person and they're usually sort of disposable they'll be interesting we hope we don't usually get wrapped up with them but rixi keeps surprising us and i i really wanted the doctor to take him with him at the end and, and you know that's happened other times but um he's just a well-written character and he's really well portrayed and he's being treated like he's a thug and he's not. Yeah, there's just nothing not to like about Riggsy. It's always interesting to me when you have these characters 
that the doctor initially has a bad perspective of. And I, I think rarely he changes that <laughs> throughout the course of that character's experience with him. But this time he almost immediately changes his thoughts on Rigsby. You know, I forget the exact verbiage, but he wasn't very high on him when he first saw him. And it was it was very rewarding for me to see him change his opinion kind of quickly about him as as he and Clara worked closely together to try to solve this issue. Uh, it was interesting seeing him and Clara work together as well. I thought was very trusting of him, which was a bit surprising on my part, but she was very trusting of him and he was very helpful. So, yeah, I, I did rather enjoy this character in, in this episode. I do also want to mention and maybe ask you guys, I think I've seen com- more community service on UK shows or British shows than I've ever seen on American shows. So is that just a thing for <laughs> British TV to have a lot of community service on their television? I've seen at least three or four series that are focused around community service or at least has it in there prominently. Hmm. That's a very interesting point, interesting question. Because I, I think they're more about it than we are in the UK. Hmm. I think I think we're, you know, we, we've got more incarcerated people than any other nation on earth. I mean, we, we hmm. tend to just put people in jail. Right? Well, it makes more money for whomever... <sighs> In the U- U.S. Yes, to put people in jail. Yes, it does. Mm. So, and, and it costs money to have somebody out supervising people who are repainting graffiti or something. So, and, and yeah. the point just, just get driven, the point gets driven home even more clearly when you get to meet this guy because he's not a criminal. Yeah. And I wish I could remember there is something that Clara says when he is he being Rigsby is asked to paint something for her. And there is something that Moffat did that was so brilliant. I'm not sure what the line was, but there's something in that transaction. And this is later in the story where he's drawing the picture of the wall mm-hmm. or the door, I believe. Yes. And there's something in that exchange that they say, and she talks about his art and how he, you know, show me you can draw or something. And it's foreshadowing something we'll see later that I won't even mention. Mm-hmm. But I was like, kudos to you, Stephen Moffat, for whether that was Jamie Matheson or whether that was Moffat that threw that in. Regardless, I just thought it was cool. Yeah. I made a note of these these two things, in fact, that uh, I, struck me the same way. She uh, uses the TARDIS siege mode as a paperweight i just love that and uh, <laughs> she tosses the spray can to him she says come on graffiti boy i've got a commission for you <laughs> and he says i'm flattered but i don't think this is exactly the time and she says well fine if you don't think you're up to it you know? yeah that's always a <laughs> that is exactly what i'm talking what about. do you and need that's exactly. what foreshadowed yeah yes and and the doctor's parallel moment is that uh after uh, Rigsby hangs up his phone call. The doctor says, ah, the return of the fluorescent pudding brain. Well, that's kind of <laughs> mean, isn't it? You do realize he can hear you now. And the doctor says, I know. And then to Rigsby, your last painting was so good it saved the world. I can't mm. wait to see what you do next. Is Rigsby mm. a rather normal name in the UK? It sounds pretty unique to me, but... That's new to uh, me. And I'm calling him Rigsy, but it's it's Rigsby, right? B. It is Rigsby. Rigsby. Okay. Yeah, I wonder what they're trying to do a play on Banksy or something. I don't, I don't know. Well, <laughs> well, I'm looking at the closing titles, and it says Rigsy. Rigsy. Hmm. hmm. I don't. But it is Rigsby. But, but, I but throughout they say Rigsby. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I did. I also thought that too. That maybe that's not really his name. That he's. <laughs> it's a Banksy kind of thing. But yeah, there's the doctor doing that that spin around, and I felt like this this moment of looking this young man in the eye and saying, "Your last painting was so good, it saved the world." I can't mm. wait to see what you do next. This is this is turning in the direction of the doctor we're going to come to know. Oh yeah, yeah. great point. The next thing that he says when Clara's phone rings is, "Is that P.E.?" <laughs> so he's still referring to Danny as P.E. <laughs> Poor Danny. I and Clara is uh, still lying to Danny. Yes, she is. I was surprised to see. Clarence, you know, we've asked this question before when we were reviewing. I think it was, yeah, it was the Mummy on the Orient Express. We talked about the lying. Why do you think we are continuing to lie? I mean, Danny knew that they had this contentious relationship. Why start lying now? Hmm. 
I'm not sure. And to me, it's pretty clear that it, it seems to me that Danny, even though he's going along with the rules, I think he kind of is, is seeing through it <laughs> in this episode as he talks to her throughout. But I don't know. I don't know why she's keeping it going. Maybe she just feel like that's the only way she can make it work with Danny. But still, it's ugh, it's not a good look. No, and it, it, I, I do just think it's because she's so conflicted. But in this episode, she says that he's getting more possessive, that he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't, according to her, he doesn't even like the idea of her having a toothbrush on the TARDIS. Mm. Mm. And I know she doesn't like that. You don't own me. It's just an interesting choice that I think that Moffat made. And I'm not sure that I agree with because this is the only thing that makes Series 8 kind of have a bad taste out of the three of Capaldi's series is because I didn't like that antagonistic dynamic that they presented. I understand it, and I get why he doesn't like soldiers. I understand that, but I didn't think that Danny deserved that, maybe. It seems like, you know how, uh, what is it when you are mad at one thing but you take it out on something else what is that called transference yeah yeah that, yes. that's really true and, and that's what it feels like yeah. is what he's doing to danny i think that's absolutely true and as we were saying you know when danny's character was first introduced you just want to shout at the doctor and say look you were a soldier yeah for a long mm-hmm. time i think you've forgotten it's and we can't say that wasn't part of the continuity at this time because it was. It absolutely it, was. It, it, right. it had just been created, but it was. But I don't know. It's it is. It's very strange. I I I feel for Clara in this. She's just gotten stuck. She didn't plan any of this, and not to give away things about Danny later on in the story. But all kinds of things happened to him that are just not his fault. He didn't. Yeah. Mm. He, mm. It's just one thing after another for Danny, and I. I don't know. That's it's it's too bad, and that's that happens, of course, to people, you know. Really quick before we move on yeah. to what I want to call Doctor One Hundred and One, mm. I want to say one other thing about Rigsby. I just wish that it would have been a Cyberman episode that he was in, because I could maybe see him with cybernetics, especially considering he goes <laughs> on, amongst other things, to be Victor cyborg yep. from doom patrol it's true yeah so, he gets jacked after this yes <laughs> <laughs> indeed but you know it's weird it, it, how young he was i keep forgetting this is 2014 this is eight years ago so you know before doom patrol started i know it's been out for a few years now but still you know he's grown up a bit yes. and does an awesome american accent now So the next thing I want to talk about is what I'm calling Dr. 101. And what I mean by that is this episode seems to be a playbook of how to be the doctor. Would you guys agree? Either of you, take it away. This is a playbook of how to be the doctor. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. The companions are often being put in positions where they have to say, what would the doctor do? And Clara has this moment where she says, what would the doctor do? No. What am I going to do? Yeah. And she has, but, but she is still saying, you know, rule number one, the being the doctor, turn the enemy's, you know, power against themselves. And, and that is the solution. It's brilliant. Um, And the doctor didn't tell her to do that. I it's it's one of the main things I love about this is Clara as the doctor and we have a a, a friend and colleague who hates this episode because Clara is the doctor so <laughs> you know um but that that's just me I really it, it, it is that um that thing of transporting yourself into the story that I think makes fantasy fiction like this appealing what if you you ordinary person you we're given this opportunity and you were in this kind of crisis and you saved everybody because you had the tools and y- and you had the, the wherewithal to pull it all together. Isn't that thrilling to think about what that would yeah. be like? And Clara gets to live that. Yeah. 
I don't know if I can add much to what Lee just said. Completely agree with that. But I'll also add to that the fact that even she just outright says it when they ask her, who is she? <laughs> she yeah. <laughs> she tells them, I'm the doctor. I'm like, wow. Yeah. That is amazing. And she does, ex- um, uh, Jenna Coleman is excellent in this episode, pulling off her best impression of what the doctor does. Now, of course, the doctor was coaching her along the way. We had Rigsby, Rigsby as her companion. I want to say that, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is great. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, she was hitting all the right beats to find out what was going on, dissect the problem, and actually come to a solution with a brilliant plan at the end. By the way, that I did not see coming. But yeah, it's just just great, just great, and I, I really loved seeing the doctor there. Is is more of like a teacher in in the background, you know, kind of solving the problem his own way, but also kind of just giving her hints and 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 kind of ushering her along when when it's needed for the story to progress. So yeah, I love I love this dynamic. I love Clara being in control. I know a lot of people don't like that, but <laughs> I just thought she was fantastic in this episode. Do you know what it does for me or what this episode did for me, especially this time watching it in review mode and looking at it, not just because I'm watching the episode is for the first time in maybe a long time or maybe first time ever, it made me think in my head, traveling with the doctor isn't fun. Yes, you go to all these fun places and you see all these things. But where I say it is not fun, what I mean is there is a lot of bleep that goes on that you have to deal with. And that's life and death moments. And maybe it was showcased because we see Clara being confronted with having to give these people false hope to maybe save as many of them as she possibly could, echoing back to her giving the Dr. Beef a couple of episodes ago because he did the exact same thing. Yes. Mm. You remember in uh, Mummy on the Orient Express that when uh, Clara's uh, locked up in the, the safe with the uh, the other woman, she's saying that they're, they're sort of remembering all the fun times. And uh, <laughs> her friend says... So were they all like this, you know, where they're, they're all about to die at any second. And Clara has to admit, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, all the fun times were like this. So I'm going to go meta here for a second, mm. but I want to ask this question. Is the doctor more of a way of thinking or a presentation or a stance of how you present yourself than an actual person? Yes. Why? Because. I don't know. Uh, no, I, I just think you've summed it all up very well. And it, it's, it's to me, it's the secret of the show's success that you can keep recasting the central role. But as long as they have that, we still understand that that's the doctor. I agree totally. I don't know if I have much to add on that, but I would agree. Yeah. The only thing I would add to that is something the 11th doctor said. And what he said was my name, my real name. It's not important. The name you choose. It's like a promise you make. Mm. The name, of course, was the doctor. So maybe that's a reminder that, yes, he's called the doctor, but that's not the doctor's real name. Yeah. The idea of it's a way of thinking, a presentation fits there. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I, that's really what I what I think I like about that in this episode is that when Clara says, I'm the doctor, she's not just uh, being flippant. She's she's committing to doing what the doctor does. I am going to be the doctor. You just watch. Yeah. So I want to stay meta really quick. Mm. And I want to ask you guys this question, keeping on this presentation of the doctor. Am I correct in my thought that we rarely see an opportunity to explore the doctor's point of view? Do we normally or don't we normally see the episode excuse me, we see the episodes through the eyes of the companions or fake, you know, like temporary companions or whoever companion, but do we, we don't rarely see it looking at it from how the doctor thinks. Am I right in that? Hmm. I don't know if I ever thought about it that way. I don't know. I don't know. That's a very good question. And it made me, 
instantly think of of Bill uh in, in that season. I forget what season number, but it it very much felt like we were seeing this through her eyes. And I it certainly can be said when we have a regeneration that we see it from the companion's point of view. But in general, I don't know. I don't know if I get that feeling. <laughs> it feels like even more removed from either the companions or the doctor as the story is told. So I'm not sure. Hmm. It is. It's an interesting question because I'm just sort of thinking back across the classic series, especially, but but certainly in New Who as well, that very often to keep the story moving, you know, to keep the scenes short, you know, which makes the pace go faster. We'll cut between what the doctor's doing and we'll cut to what his companion that he's separated from is doing, you know, and back and forth or what the, uh, the bad guys are plotting and then back to the doctor and his companion or, or something like that. So there is a third person narrative always, but yeah, a lot of times it is, we're we're following the doctor and we're following what what they're thinking and then sometimes it's we are our focus is on the companion and they're trying to understand what the doctor's doing so i i think when the show is at its best it's when it's kept a balance between the two and that's why this episode has to have rigsby right yes yeah because because he has to be the clara yeah. of the episode that's right and maybe just to wrap you know, you know, a bow on my question here is maybe in order to keep the character of the doctor going 59 plus years as of this recording is or, or almost 59 years as of this recording is the fact that if you get too much inside the doctor's head and you reveal too much, you lose the mystery of being able to carry the character forward, mm-hmm. perhaps. Yeah. Did you did you notice the doctor's, uh, I think, his one real criticism of the way Clara is being the doctor, apart from him being miffed that she says she's the doctor, <laughs> that when she, she rounds up all the uh, the social worker guys or whatever they are, the, uh, <laughs> the they uh, community service, the community service people, you know, she she puts herself in charge, but, but puts everybody else in danger. And inside the TARDIS, the doctor says, you really do throw your companions in at the deep end, don't you? <laughs> well, and that's funny to us because that's the pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he does that all the time, but it's an opportunity for him to see how it happens. Yeah. And and just uh, piggybacking off of that little portion you're talking about, she rounded them all up. It was really interesting when... It was time, it was Clara's time to take control of the group. The doctor kind of gave her some advice, like, do it now or you're just going to get out of hand. And it just made me appreciate all the time the doctor just comes in and owns the group, owns the moment. And even, you know, he may not be in charge, who knows, (laughs) but he makes everybody believe and he acts as if he's in charge. And we kind of take it for granted now and don't even think about it. But it's really amazing that he's able to do that in so many situations where we get to see Clara do it for the for the first time in, in this episode. So it made me really appreciate <laughs> the doctor jumping in and, and being the one to kind of wrangle the troops from episode to episode. <laughs> yeah. To you know, cap off what you just said or to agree with what you said, Clarence, I wrote down in my notes, I have in many ways, does this not mirror leadership roles or more specifically showcase a key characteristic possessed by those who excel when leading others? And that goes into that presentation of the doctor not being a person, but the way you carry yourself. Hence what you just said right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else before we get into our boneless our bad people's whatever they are (laughs) any other thoughts about clara in this episode before we move on not really not for me i've got other trivial things but not about that no sir let's get into the boneless these 2d type creatures when did you guys figure out or did you figure out that these things on the wall and the things in the floor, et cetera, were what happened to the missing people. When did you figure that out? Clarence, why don't you go first? Yeah, I think it was certainly laid out pretty straightforward when 
they entered the tunnel and um, Riz- Rigsby makes the comment about or Rigsy, excuse me, makes the comment about that. This is a mural to his. I think he said auntie, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it was so accurate to to his best, we you know what he thought it would be. The way all of these were laid out just seemed a little strange, though. It could have just been somebody, you know, painting mirrors on the wall for the deceased. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, I think I started to it started to unfold for me around that moment. I think that that teaser with the guy who gets uh, blended into his um, chair rail on the wall, <laughs> um, mm. that um, that that alerts you to sort of what's going on. Yeah, and and so then when we see the people in the uh, in the tunnel, I think uh, I remember thinking uh, that that may not be just a painting of people. So it we're, we're we're clued in pretty early, but it it is a difficult concept to, to yes. get your brain wrapped around. Mm-hmm. Do you guys know uh, the uh, the great great novel uh, A Wrinkle in Time, Madeline Lingle? Probably the book that got me interested in science fiction on paper. They it has some dimension hopping in it, and uh, going for two other universes. And uh, there's a moment I remember where Meg and her father, I guess, at this point, they leave one dimension and into another. And in between the two, they get stuck briefly in a dimension, in a universe that has only two dimensions. Yeah. Yeah. And Meg describes that her heart made a sort of sideways attempt to beat, you know. (laughs) And I just remember as a kid reading that going... Crikey, that's the scariest thing I've ever thought of in my life. Ah, mm. but they're able to then hop on and, and get out of there. Um, so they're just there for a minute. But um, but I remember spending some time thinking about that. And um, and years later, I said something about that to a, to a teacher who uh, who gave me um, the E.A. Abbott uh, book, very little booklet, uh, written in 1884, believe it or not, called Flatland. Which which posits a whole world that exists in the two dimensions. Mm-hmm. It, it's really it doesn't really tell a story so much as it does uh, fiddle with that idea. So I had some I had some previous experience thinking about things like this, and so I, I love the idea that they're they have figured out how to get into a a higher dimension, and so they're they're sucking people into their world and taking them apart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a layer at a time so they can make sense of them. Right. Yeah. So, so they get somebody's skin and they get somebody's, you know, a slice of their nervous system and they get, you know, yikes. Wow. If anybody's seen multiverse of madness, no, no spoiler mm. here, but I'll, I'll just say America Chavez, goes to different <laughs> dimensions and all yes. of them are not as you would think. <laughs> no, no. Was one of those dimensions paint? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was what I was, I wasn't going to say it, but I was sitting here thinking, you become paint. Yes. She says, yeah, it's really hard to eat in there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So those ideas. Back to meta and talk about special effects. What did you guys think of how the special effect looked from when they were melting into whatever that would be or to how the boneless or what became the boneless at the end looked. What did you think of the special effects? And Clarence, why don't you go first? Oh man. Speaking specifically of the boneless, um, cause there's some more special effects. I think are really good in this episode, but there's one point when they're going from 2d to 3d and we have this giant hand <laughs> Just come down a train tunnel and grab somebody. I thought that was one of the most scariest things. I've seen. <laughs> yes, we are totally wow. not expecting it. And and even when Ooh. we get the, you know, they're walking around in their three D forms. I think that was totally exceptional for being on British TV. When did this come out? Twenty fourteen. In twenty four. Wow, I was just totally impressed by that. Mm-hmm. They they really went above and beyond. And even if you're going back to when they were investigating the the auntie's house, I thought we got some great scenes there when they were in the living room. Just um, really well thought out and just the actualization of what they were going for. I think they hit it on, on, on every mark. I just really loved all the special effects, especially with the, the boneless in this episode. 
Mm. Lee, what do you oh, think? Absolutely. One of my favorite things about this is just the unnerving appearance of the the boneless. They're, they're, you can tell that there are they've imitated the human forms that they've figured out, but they really only have the roughest idea of what, what that's supposed to be like. So they have arms and legs sometimes. And, you know, it's just, it's very um, good old fashioned nightmare fuel. (laughs) Let's take the boneless back into not how they looked, but how they were as a character. And Lee, I'll let you go first on this one. When did you think they went from being the character that maybe they just don't understand and we don't understand them, they don't understand us, to being a malevolent presence? Thoughts? I've watched this episode twice uh, recently since we were getting ready to do it. And, and, And that's one of the questions I was asking myself because we know that very often... The, the the scary monster is just trying to figure out where they are or they're, you know, they're scared. And, um, but it, it may not be until we realize that one of the people that they've, they've captured, they've taken them apart. I don't know. you still don't want to forgive that, but you want to say, I understand what they're doing. I mean, we capture things and cut them into slices. I mean, I, I get that, but, um, yeah. Maybe it's not until the giant hand thing. I, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. It, it, certainly, you would think they were being evil when they were tracking down Claire and the the community workers through the tunnel. But still, I'm not sure. So, give me the reason why they were doing what they're doing in the first place. I know that it them pulling energy was what was affecting the TARDIS. Um, but I'm trying to remember, trying to square what their actual motives were. And, and Lee, keep me honest here, but I think we never heard from them their motive. We heard from the doctor his take on what their motives were. That's... The reason I say that is he says, I tried to talk. I want you to remember that. I tried to reach out. I tried to understand you, but I think you understand us perfectly. And I think you just don't care. And I don't know whether you are here to invade, infiltrate, or just Mm. replace us. And I, and I don't suppose it really matters now. You are monsters. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess that says it. Yeah. (laughs) No matter what the goals, it's the result, right? I'm going back through the episode again, and I, I'm, I'm reminded of a, uh, the moment where where, where Stan uh, touches. He's he's got his brush, and he touches the wall, and it sucks him. And and uh, the doctor um, from inside the TARDIS says they're wearing the dead like camouflage. Mm. And Clara says, "Forget Stan, your friend's gone." So she she understands fully there. And the doctor says, "Get them out of there. They're wearing the dead like camouflage." That, that's not something a nice person does. No, 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 not indeed. I mean, not at all. But what a nice person does do, and I remember this because this nice, this nice person was Clarence Brown. I remember Clarence, especially for some reason, whenever I watch this, I remember you coming back years ago before we even started doing Discussing Who. When you watched this, I remember you saying this is where we got our doctor moment. This is Capaldi's doctor moment. They charged the TARDIS. I tried to talk. I want you to remember that. I tried to reach out. I tried to understand you, but I think that you understand us perfectly. I think that you just don't care. And I don't know whether you are here to invade, infiltrate, or just replace us. I know it's supposed to really matter us now. You are monsters! That is the role you seem determined to play, so it seems that I must play mine. The man that stops the monsters. I'm sending you back to your own dimension. Who knows? Some of you may even survive the trip. And if you do, remember this. You are not welcome here. This plane is protected. I 
I'm the doctor. And I name you the Boomerus. Do you still agree with what you thought X number of years ago? Yeah, I mean, you you can't help but to get excited on that last speech, which you just partially quoted mm-hmm. from, when he emerges from the TARDIS to save his friends and throws up this amazing force field yeah, around the TARDIS. It, just, it, it was just spectacular. Um, so, yeah, definitely a doctor moment for him. That speech was amazing. And, again, I, I like the fact that he's said that we've exhausted every possibility before we're going to just outright banish you. You know, We try to understand, but we can't. Now you're gone. So I, I really love that. And again, especially after not seeing him from seeing him in action per se for most of the episode. So yeah, I, yeah, definitely. He, he was excellent and the definitely a doctor moment with that speech at the end. Oh yeah. It's, it's just a colossal climax to the episode. I just, yeah, there's nothing not to love about that. And it is, yeah, I'm the man that stops the monsters. I am the mm. doctor. Pow. Yes, 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 yes. I think two important things happened here. For the fans, we get what we were just saying, the doctor moment. For the character, I think, and I know I've kind of hinted at this and thought of this as the series has progressed, and I'm curious to see what comes and because I don't remember this next episode very, very much because I've only seen it a handful of yeah. times that's after this. But I'm curious to see how he acts in the next one. But I think this is where Capaldi's doctor starts turning the corner. And I'm curious to see how he acts, you know, going forward a little bit. But yes, doctor moment, doctor moment, doctor moment. Clarence, I asked you before we were to record this, I said that there was a part of this that I did not remember the way I thought I remembered it. Do you know what I am referring to? I have no idea. I really don't. <laughs> All right, Lee, I'm going to ask you. There is a part of this that I have been playing with, especially over the last say eight or 10 episodes, not played it as much as I played the library thing back when we were doing series four, but that I was actually wrong about. Do you know what I'm talking about? Clara, my Clara. Yes. Yes. Clara, my Clara, I have chosen well is how it is actually said. My brain for all of these years have said that it is Clara, 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 I have chosen well. Hmm. Not Clara, my Clara, Clara. I have chosen well. I know. Just saying. It's weird, though, how, you know, I I think that's called the Mandela effect, Mm -hmm. but it's weird how my brain has, you know, even whenever you chose Clarence, when you chose Clara in our top five, I think I said, Clara, 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 you have chosen well, or something like that. But here I was wrong. You're right. That's Mandela. It's it's like everybody remembers Darth Vader saying, Luke, I am your father, which he did not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So let's talk about this scene other than Kyle said it wrong. We see the mystery woman again. Any thoughts really quick? Just that she's supposed to be mysterious, but but yeah, we've added the wrinkle now. My Clara, what does that mean? Is Clara evil? Who knows? So gentlemen, any other topics or tidbits that you have before we get into our favorite scene? A quick thing that's completely trivial. When, um, uh, as we were talking about in a recent recording, I got to hang out with uh, Brian Blessed a little bit, who was uh, on Doctor Who. That was at uh, the the theater in Bristol. To take the train back to London, we were planning to go to the station, but we decided to just take a cab instead all the way because the trains uh, would have, our train would have left very late. But it was supposed to go from Bristol sightings, and it's way on the other side of town from the theater. So we didn't go there. And so imagine my surprise when the TARDIS materializes in this episode and the sign in the background says, Bristol Sightings. 
Mm. They're at that train station that I didn't go to. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't you glad you did? Well, if if our vehicle was going to start shrinking on us, yeah. Well, I don't want to take anybody's favorite scene, but man, there was so much stuff packed in this episode that we haven't even talked about. Like the, the, at first, the the shrinking TARDIS, which I thought was amazing. The things they did to play around with that, uh, I thought were really clever and really, really brilliant. Uh, from the door to maybe some uh, the way the TARDIS moves around a little bit throughout the episode, and I'll I'll bring that up in my um, favorites one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. But just that concept alone was excellent, and the fact that it's shrinking shrinking uh, because uh, of these creatures are pulling the energy. If I'm remembering correctly, I thought was really cool, and what we get to see that what they do with the boneless in the episode. The way they go from uh, 2D to, to 3D and how they play with that mechanic that we established throughout the episode with the Tudis. So mm-hmm. it's just so many great concepts in this episode that are that are used that I think are really great and really what you give them to Doctor Who for. Um, and I'll mention real quick, there's this game called uh, Super Mario Odyssey, which came out for the Switch. But in Super Mario Odyssey, of course, is a 3D video game. But, you know, us old heads, us old school people will remember the 2D Mario running through levels that existed for most of Mario's existence yes. <laughs> in the early days. There's a great concept that they use in that game of where you can go through some portals and you'll come out on the side of a building and playing like 2D Mario yeah, <laughs> in the midst of the game, so it just made me think of that. Just that concept is so brilliant, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the the, the sci fi concepts in this episode were really great. So there you have it. <laughs> Clarence and I had just been talking not too long ago. Maybe it was on our our episode that was just the two of us about one of the things that I miss about the show, and and I always wish that they would do more of, is deal with the TARDIS itself and with time lord technology that that that's what makes this sci-fi fantasy show different from the others you know yeah. uh so anything that deals with the doctor's regeneration i always find interesting things about um travel uh, tra- traveling through time specifically and and about then the other thing is the uh, disagreement between the external and internal dimensions of the tardis and so that's what i love about uh, the you know the classic serial uh, planet of the giants where the exterior gets shrunk down uh, with them in it. So they yeah. get shrunk too. And this time mm. we get a variation on it. What if the external dimension started shrinking, but the interior <laughs> didn't. So yeah. uh, that gives us yet another uh, challenge. And I just, uh, with Clarence, I just love being able to play with that for an episode. Yeah. Isn't this the same thing, but reverse in a way that happened with the meddling monk? Because his TARDIS shrunk on the inside, but he was on the outside. This one, it shrunk from the outside with him on the inside. Yes. So he's still got it, but he can't get into it. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. So so I I love that, uh, that ending uh, for that reason that, yeah, yeah. Uh, talking about um, video games uh, reminded me of something else that I wanted to point out. Did you notice that the uh, the train that will eventually get flattened out is a train A113? And that has some meaning, tell us. Yes, it is an inside joke uh, at uh, um, uh, CalArts and um, uh, animation studios, uh, especially at Pixar, because a lot of folks studied in... Uh, the these classrooms and uh the one of the places where all of that work came together was classroom a113 pixar films especially are loaded with references to a113 so somebody here on the effects team uh had to have been one of those one of those people because they could not resist making this trains number a113 so Mm, there it is that is cool yeah i did not know that there you go (laughs) yeah look for the a113s in uh, pixar movies they're all over the place Awesome. And see, what I really love about this episode is we have been recording now. Let's see how long we've been recording. 
we are we've been recording over an hour yeah. and like Clarence said there is so much to unpack in this episode that we could keep going and going and going just like the energizer bunny however i do want to mention one thing real quick and guys again keep me honest the gentleman that wrote this episode Jamie Matheson did we not meet him when we all went to Hulanta i believe in 2017 Ooh. Wasn't he speaking at Hulanta? I because he think you may wasn't be right. it Oxygen that he wrote as well. Well, I think you're in right. series ten. I think you're right. And Oxygen had just no, it had not just aired, but we were we watched it together, right? We watched it at the convention. Yes, yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. And the reason I remember him and kudos to this gentleman is because he was sick. I mean, as in like, I think he had the flu or something to, you know, he was like feverish, sick, but he still made his commitment. I mean, he came down, he spoke when he was supposed to speak, but like he was, you could tell that the gentleman didn't feel well. So, you know, top-notch gentleman, and we we obviously like his writing. Right, and yeah, and he he was just uh, sort of uh, lovely to get to know. Yeah, despite how he he was feeling. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. He wrote Mummy and the Orient Express and Flatline, The Girl Who Died, and Oxygen. So yeah, wow, mm. heavy hitters. Yep, indeed, indeed, indeed. So what is a heavy hitter? A heavy hitter might be favorite scene. Favorite scene. I want to go first to. Lee Shackelford. Lee, favorite scene. Uh, Clarence and I may have the same one, but just there's nothing to me more fun in this than the doctor having to finger walk himself off the railroad tracks. Exactly. And and that's that's Clara's hint, right? She says, Adam's family. And he, he remembers, yeah. he knows thing. So he's able to walk. Because, yeah, we never did quite figure out the dimensions of thing in uh, in the TV series anyway, that in the movies, uh, we, we see that hand running around by itself. But. He was just a hand coming out of a box in uh, in the TV show. So, so I, I love that whole sequence. Um, although I guess for favorite scene, it's it's got to be in a tie with that that doctor moment. But yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, my favorite was also the um, the thing hand <laughs> Adam's family thing uh, by moving the tortoise off the tracks. I thought that was really brilliant, really awesome. Um, and I want to ask you guys: Have we seen Siege Mode before? It looks like mm. the Pandorica. And it does. So I think a lot of people uh, had had thoughts about that. I remember, but no, I think this is the only time. But yeah, we we haven't seen it before or since. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I love that scene, and I love the use of the Tudis in in the episode. <laughs> any scene where they're using it, and and rather brilliant, brilliantly used to kind of fool the boneless at the end. Just 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 great. All right, so my favorite scene has to be the Doctor moment. I mean, yes, the thing thing was the thing thing. The thing scene was cool, but Doctor moment is, you guys know that I love my Doctor moments, and you know that's what, been one of my complaints is 13 has never had a Doctor moment, and I love my Doctor moment, so Doctor moment, yep. there you go. <laughs> favorite quote, Clarence. I'm starting with you. Favorite quote. Oh, mine is when a doctor and Clara are talking and Clara wants to land to keep her rules with um, Danny. She wants to land the same place, same time, I guess. <laughs> and they're just going at it. And the doctor says, sorry, stop listening, listening a while ago. Okay. Um, same time you left. Same place ish. And she's like, ish. Don't give me ish. <laughs> so don't don't give hilarious. me ish. Yes. <laughs> Lee, what say ye? Uh, shortly after that, uh, when um, they squeeze their way out through the uh, the shrinking TARDIS door, that uh, <laughs> the doctor is trying to figure out a word to describe what's happening, and what he comes up with is huge. <laughs> he says, this is huge. Well, not literally huge, slightly smaller than usual, which is huge. <laughs> That's a great line. Oh, boy. Oh, oh well. I know. I have to mention the "it's bigger on the inside" from Rigsby. Yes, uh, it was great. <laughs> yes, and the doctor says that may have never been more literally true. Than this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> mine was going to be 
something like, you are monsters. That is the role you are determined to play. So it seems I must play mine, the man that stops the monsters. And then he goes on to say, I am the doctor and I name you the boneless. boneless. That was going to be my favorite quote. But my favorite quote has to be, Clara, my Clara, mm. I have chosen well. Da -da. Mic drop. There you go. Boom. Final rating. Final rating. And I'm going to start with myself. Final rating. I'm going to give this five Mandela effects <laughs> out of five. <laughs> Lee Shackelford. Oh, five spray cans out of five. Clarence Brown. Five Dr. Thing-ish hands <laughs> out of five. <laughs> now he's got five hands. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> so for everyone listening, what did you think? Do you agree with our triple five? Do you rate it less? If so, why? Or do you agree? If so, why? Reach out to us on social media at Discussing Who. Let us know what you think. And as always, we will be back next time. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com. 